Uh, if you're at home uh, and I missed you earlier, uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors at the church, and we're glad that you're here, especially if you're guests with us. We're honored that you would spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us. I'm going to read our, um, one of our primary texts for today, then I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. This is from Mark 12, starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love with him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Let's pray. Father, I just ask this morning that you would um, help us understand and recognize that the passages we're going to be reading this morning are your words, inspired by you. They're uh, the, the primary way you reveal yourself to us. And so as we dig into these few of these verses this morning, help us um, be humble and, and put ourselves under these verses, work hard to understand them, and allow those to, to change our minds and our hearts and the way we would live when we leave this place. I pray that your spirit would, would come into this place and, and, and help us in the areas that we need help in as we look at your word this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. In November and December, I was reflecting on 2020 and looking ahead to 2021, and I was thinking for myself, what are the ideas in Scripture or the passages in Scripture that I need to reflect on? Um, and in that process, I began to think about Providence Road, the church, and thought to think, well, what, what does the church need to hear? What, what should we look at this particular week, January 17th? Because um, this is our last standalone sermon before we jump back into 1 Corinthians, where we'll be for the majority of the rest of uh, the semester and, and get us into the summer. And this week happens to be the day before Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, which is tomorrow. And it also has been set aside today for um, the observance of the sanctity of human life and the awareness of abortion. And so I thought with, with what 2020 gave us and where we're headed in 2021 and with these, these days coming kind of uh, around this Sunday, I thought the, 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 the ideas that would be, be good for us to look at are the ideas of truth and love or love and truth if you want to switch those around. And here's the deal with love and truth. Like the majority of teachings I've heard on love and truth, you'll take love and you'll talk about love or you'll take truth and talk about truth. Um, but these two things sometimes get pitted against each other or um, sometimes they are always seen as separate. And I wanna, I've been challenged as I've really dug in into the scriptures this week that, that really those things should never be pulled apart. The scriptures don't see those things as opposites. They actually see those things as, 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 as two ideas or truths that, could stay, that should stay together all the time. 
but sometimes it's helpful to explain them by separating them. So we're going to talk about each one this morning. And um, I wanted to, to, to read a few um, quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. Um, one of the, his sermons, and as we know, he was a, he was a preacher and a pastor. And um, MLK, from all um, most people, would say that he was a great example of someone who lived out the ideas of love and truth. So here are a couple of quotes from him. This is from a sermon entitled, Loving Your Enemies. It says this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Talking about this idea of love. Then another quote, he says, There comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must take it because conscience tells him it is right. Speaking to this idea of truth, right? Truth and standing and contending for truth. And then he, in his uh, Nobel Prize acceptance speech, says this. He kind of puts these together. He says, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil, triumphant. And we acknowledge that the work that MLK did, Dr. King, that we have a lot of work to still do in that area. And we need to continue as the church to carry on his legacy in those areas. But I also want to talk about another figure uh, from history, Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, as most people would say, that she did a great job of living out the ideas of love and truth as well. There's a story told about her that she was invited to the um, National Prayer Breakfast Highly kind of a, a prestigious honor for a faith leader to come in and put that on every year. And the, it's invited by the president. This was when President Bill Clinton was in office. She was invited to speak at the National Prayer Breakfast. And you can imagine, like, there's all the who's who people are in, in the audience. They're, they're listening and they're watching. And they're the ones who kind of brought her in to address matters of faith. And I'll pick up the story kind of told secondhand, and it says this. And think about it. There are, there are people from both sides of, of the aisle in this room. There are people from both sides of issues in this room. And the story goes like this. Barely visible from behind the podium due to her small stature, she said, If we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? Abortion leads to more abortion. Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love one another, but to use any violence to get what they want. This idea that like, if I don't like something or I don't like my situation, I can resort to violence to get what I want in any given situation. That's kind of what was her point. And we know that in that area of protecting the unborn, we have a long ways to go. In 2017, the last kind of um, year that data was published, um, 2,361 um, babies who were in the womb were murdered every day, 2017. It's not good. That's a sobering number, and we need to let that sit on us. But there's some good news in this area. In the last 10, the 10 years previous to 2017, 07 to 17, when the data was there, um, there's been a steady decrease in abortions in our country. Not in the world, but in our country. And that is a good thing. That is something we need to continue to work towards and say, God, thank you for that. God, continue to help us fight for the unborn. And to see that number drop and drop and drop. So here are two examples 
of people who clearly lived a life of truth and love. And they held that together. And they did so in, in a really a beautiful way. Most people would say these two are two honorable human beings that lived. And I think they had made such a difference and had such an impact because they kept these two things together as they um, lived their life and did their ministry and did those sorts of things. So this morning, I want us to look at these two areas, right? And the first thing I'm going to do is we're going to look at, see how the Bible really talks about these two ideas. And then we're going to talk about really how the Bible, I think, expects us or shows us how to be the kind of person who keeps these two things together as we live. And then I'll end with just some, some thoughts, that, some practical things that I think will help us as I've been studying and reading the last couple of weeks on this that um, I've mostly gotten from other people, but we'll get to that at the end. So I want to go back to the passage we read to kind of kick us off earlier, the, 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 where Jesus talks about what are the two great commandments. So the, he's asked this question, what's the greatest? Like, if I need to know anything, Jesus, what do I need to know? What do I need to do? And he says, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God and the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. And so we, we've, we've, it's, it's pretty simple, right? Pretty straightforward. If we were to, to, to follow any commandments, these are the two. Jesus himself says these are the two things. Love God and love your neighbor. And we've talked about what that means a lot in, in Providence. Or what does that love your neighbor mean? It doesn't mean your physical next door neighbor. It doesn't mean people who agree with you, people who have the same skin color as you, or people who agree with all of your ideas. That is not what neighbor means. Neighbor is a broad category here that really talks about anybody you might come upon in life. It's really just any human being is really what that, what that uh, means when he says neighbor. right? And, and we can just leave, we, we, in a perfect world, we could say, okay, that's the end of the sermon. Like, let's just go do this. Let's just go out, love God, love others. I think we all realize that that's when we actually get in the throes of life and we're dealing with our own sin and bents and preferences. This is really hard. It's really hard to live this out. And you could say that the Matthew 5, chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, are actually the answer to, well, what does this look like lived out, Jesus? It's almost, well, the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's our ethic. It's the way a follower of Jesus should live. You have statements in the Sermon on the Mount, which we preached on in 2018 and 19, things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, love your enemies. So it's going further than love your neighbors. Jesus actually says, love your enemies. There, turn the other cheek. If they sue you and take your cloak, give them their, your tunic. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. These are all statements that Jesus makes, teachings that come out of the Sermon on the Mount that really help us define, okay, Jesus, what does it mean to love God and love others. There the Sermon on the Mount is. It's a great explanation of how we should live in the context of love in our lives. Now, um, but we can all put ourselves in situations. You're probably even doing it now. But what if? What if? Where, where do I stand up for truth? Where do, I, where do I contend for what's right? When someone isn't following what I think a biblical command is, what happens? What should I deal do? Maybe you're personally attacked. Maybe that cause or that issue that you just, that you just want to fight for. We all have kind of different ones, right? And you feel like someone is, is cheapening that or challenging that. You want to rise up and defend that. 
And that's, some of that's good, right? That's, that's standing up for truth. So how do these things fit together when the rubber meets the road in everyday life? And this is where oftentimes love is pitted against the truth, that either you got to be this loving person, and now you got to be the truth-telling person. And that is not how the Bible talks about this. We should ask, how do we keep the posture of love, everything we see in the two great commandments, everything we see in the Sermon on the Mount, and say, how do we keep that posture but still standing up for truth, especially truth that is clear coming out of the scriptures. Now, I want to say something about truth really fast because we're going to dig into this a little bit. I'm primarily thinking about absolute truth that is found in God's word. When the Bible says truth, that's primarily what it's talking about. The truth that originates with God that is perfect, that is without error. There's, some abs- there's absoluteness to that truth. That's what the Bible talks about when it talks about truth. Now, there is objective truth that the Bible doesn't speak to that exists in the world. Example, easy example, this is gravity, right? Bible has nothing to say about gravity, but over time, with a lot of study, with really smart people, we figured out what gravity is, and we would all attest that, yeah, that's an objective reality, right? If you jump, you're going to come down, right? Gravity is real. That is a truth statement, right? The gravity exists, and it's, it's, it's something out there that is objective. When we say truth, we are not talking about the statements that I, I hear more and more often that says, you know, that's my truth, you live your truth, but I'm gonna, I have my truth. Those statements are nonsensical. Like they, they don't make any sense because a, a person can't possess the truth. Like truth exists outside of a human being. The only one who can actually possess the truth or even a truth is God himself because he is the originator of truth. Now, again, there are true statements through science and study and testing that become objective, and we all agree on, yeah, that's true, but that doesn't originate inside a person to say, yeah, that's my truth. That's how I'm going to live. Those statements just don't make any sense, and I wish Christians would stop saying those things because I think we cut the legs out of the ultimate truth of the Bible when we say, that's my truth, you live your truth. Now, if you want to use words like, that's my strong opinion, that's my purpose, that's my belief, that checks out with scripture, have at it. It's okay to have strong opinions. It's okay to have strong beliefs. But when you start saying, that's my truth, it's, somehow it's like, I'm gonna deem this thing as the ultimate authority and you can't really say anything about it now because I've used the word truth. And that's just not, um, it's just not right when you're talking about what is truth. Okay, so I just wanted to make sure we understand that before we dig into this. So Paul Church planner, early church leader, has a couple of places in his writings that I think he really helps us with these two things. First is Romans 12, verse 9. Let's look at Paul here. He says, let love be genuine. He's just talking about love. Let love be genuine. He's talking about really the context of the church, but I think this applies outside the church as well. But he's talking to the church at Rome. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Abhor means hate. It's a strong, strong word, right? So you could, a lot of translations will say hate what is evil. Hold fast, that's a really strong word. It's like cling. A lot of versions will say cling to. Cling to what is good and hate what is bad. It's almost an explanation of how our love is actually genuine is if you hate what is evil and love or hold fast to what is good. Now, what is good? Everything that comes from God is good. He's, the, he's perfectly good. What is evil? Anything that comes against that good. Namely, sin. That's the easy one. 
And really, this is the heartbeat of justice. When we talk about we want to be about justice and fight for truth and fight for behalf of somebody else, it really comes down to we're hating, according to the scriptures, we're hating what is evil and, and standing up for what is good. Um, when Paul writes this, he, you can also say he's, he's advocating from this healthy, um, love-driven kind of anger. So it's like, what are you angry about? Where's your anger's not always a sin. It can be a sin, but it's not always a sin, right? We know that from the scriptures. So it's this like holy, healthy anger directed at hating evil and loving good. I want to read a quote here from a guy by the name of Scott Sauls. Um, great pastor, um, came out with a, he's written a bunch of really good books, but this year he came out, 2020, he came out with a book called A Gentle Answer. And I highly, highly recommend this book to all of you all, A Gentle Answer, Scott Sauls. Um, it's really timely for, for the season we're living in. It's great. Um, he says this, we hate seeing children neglected, spouses abandoned, the elderly and poor forgotten. We hate these things and we get angry about them because we feel protective of the excellent, pure, lovely, and praiseworthy things that they threaten and contradict. It's a holy kind of anger. It's an anger compelled by shalom, which means peace, the wise and the healthy vision for the world as God intended it to be. For God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, it is the kind of anger that says, I want more, I want better, I want health, life, goodness, protection, and truth, and beauty for the people, places, and things God loves, for every soul and square inch that God intends to redeem. It's the kind of anger that protects the most vulnerable from violence and injury and preserves for them the assurance that their wounds will be treated with gentleness and care. So when Jesus talks about, or Jesus expresses his anger, and we see that a few times in the Gospels, it's always with a view towards defending and protecting something good or someone he loves. So for us, in this context of MLK Day and Sanctity of Life Sunday, um, I want to make sure that we understand, for this it means being pro-life from womb until death. All human beings, from womb until death. The unborn, the poor, the marginalized, the falsely imprisoned, the immigrant, the elderly, disabled, those suffering from racial injustice. We are called to be about these things as the church. This truth, this, this truth of love and love and truth uh, compels us to be involved in these things. This also means that contending for Jesus' other truth statements, his teachings, um, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's a very exclusive statement, right? No one can have a relationship with God, no matter what you call God, unless he comes through me. Jesus being very exclusive there, right? Um, But he's saying, I am the truth. I embody the truth in that statement. He also makes statements in his teachings on heaven and hell. It's truth. And and, and along with uh, heaven and hell, he makes statements on gender and sexuality. There are truth statements from Jesus on those things. So if we're going to be about that first list, about applying the truth to those issues, we have to be truth people about applying the truth of Jesus to those other things as well. Because we all believe it's found in, or we believe as a church, it's found in God's word. If you are a person of love and truth, especially truth, you're going to be about the things that I mentioned, probably others as well, but they should always be contended for with love. So remember the two greatest commandments, right? You've got to sum everything up, love God, love others. But we also contend for truth. This is why knowing your Bible, reading your Bible, memorizing your Bible, 
being formed by your Bible, um, having a biblical worldview is so important because how do you know what is true and what is not true? You have to know the ultimate truth source first to be able to navigate a lot of things that are thrown at us in our culture. We have to know our word. We have to be people in our word and growing in understanding of the word. Let's go to another place in Paul's writings, Ephesians 4, um, verse 15. Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So here he's saying one of the ways we grow up as followers of Jesus is to speak the truth in love. So Paul puts those things together there. So speaking the truth, but we do those in love. And then he further kind of gets deeper into that of what that means. A few verses down in verse 21, same thought. He says, assuming that you have heard about him, being Jesus, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So what Paul is saying here is that we're to speak the truth in love, but ultimately truth and the love are found in Jesus. So we're really speaking Jesus. We're speaking the gospel. We're speaking the gospel truths when we're speaking truth. It's not some um, truth that is kind of separate from Jesus. Okay? Jesus is the embodiment of truth and the embodiment of love. And this is what Paul is trying to say here. Now, it can be difficult to be a person of both love and truth. This is a hard way. It's a hard way. You ask, you were to ask MLK, right? How hard was that for him? End up getting him killed. Mother Teresa, the conditions and the people and the place that she spent her most of her life around, most of us couldn't handle it. We just couldn't hack it, right? What she did. But it was difficult. She had she lived a hard life being a person of truth and love. It's much easier to say, I'm just gonna be a person of love. <clears throat> just accept everything, accept everybody. Don't, no, no fights, no, no, make, no hurting feelings, no arguments. Let's just love. Let's just love, love, love. But that, 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 that's not going to, it's going, going to work because at some point the truth is going to come in there and it's going to, um, you're going to have to deal with the truth. Or you can be a truth person, right? Probably pretty easy there too, right? If you're a person who likes to fight, likes to argue, you're just out contending for truth all over the place. It's kind of the truth police, Kind of forget love. We don't need love right now. We need truth. And you want to pick fights. You want to prove you're right and they're right. You're right. They're wrong. Well, you can't, you can't do that either, right? But that's easy, right? Because you don't have to love people. You don't have to love your enemies. You don't have to love your neighbor if you're just going to be a truth teller and you're going to pick fights. So we have to keep these things together. So how do we do this, right? Like hopefully we're at this point. It's like, huh. What does this look like, right? Because I think we all can imagine ourselves oscillating between these two things depending on the situation. Well, I think the Bible gives us answers. Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus tells this parable, um, and I think it's going to help us understand how that we can be um, look at Jesus, be changed by the gospel through the power of the Spirit, and live as a person who's about truth and love. Let's, let's read it. He also told this parable to some, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So that's his audience. That's the reason why he tells the parable. Verse 10, two men, painting the picture here, and you can, you can think about this, two men went up into the temple, so it's at the temple, to pray. That's why both of them are there. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. One that's kind of, that's really, really religious. Everyone in the, in the culture would have said, that's a religious guy, like ultimate religious guy. And then you have the tax collector, hated 
Like, didn't have friends anywhere. Maybe with some Roman authorities, but definitely not as among his own people. Hated tax collectors. He had two kinds of people going up here. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prays, God, I just thank you. Imagine this in a prayer, saying these things. God, I just thank you that I'm not like other men. You know, like, I'm not like the extortioners, the unjust, or the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So he can see him. And he's like watching him while he's actually praying to God, saying, I'm really glad I'm not like this guy right? Um, and then he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Those two things aren't bad. Those are things that a, a, a Christian should even do, right? Fast and tithe. Like, that's not bad. But again, the, the, the motive, the condition of his heart is wicked, though. Then verse 13, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. You can imagine walking into the temple. Maybe some of you, first time you walked into church, you felt this way, kind of like maybe a little bit of a shame to be there, kind of maybe a little bit nervous, kind of going in there, not knowing what to say. But, and he stands, he's standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He says, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's not comparing himself to anybody. He's not looking at other people. He feels far from God. He feels like a mess. He feels like his life's broken. He feels like a sinner and all he, needs, all he knows to do is to plead to God for mercy, plead to God for grace. God, help me. God, save me. I, I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. That's right before God, accepted before God. The, the, the tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. The religious guy, the guy who does all the good things. For everyone, here's the, here's the principle, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled whether in this life or the next life, by God. That's what that means. Or, but the one who, ex- who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector, the lowly, the humble, maybe not, not guaranteed in this life, but in the next life, for sure, exaltation. The one who falls at the feet of God and says, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the person who will be justified. Now, why do I share this now? Because I think, even though maybe we don't consider ourselves religious Pharisees, Although there's probably, I'm, I'm, I have, I'm uh, in danger of that. But it's really Phariseeism. Because what the Pharisees have done, if you remember, they, take, they add to the regular law some other laws that will make them look better, laws that they can achieve so they can create this kind of inner circle and make everyone else out. They're the in, everyone else is out, and then they can stand up on their high horse and kind of look down upon the, 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 the bad people. We're the good people you're the bad people. We're the clean people according to God. You're the unclean people according to God. This is what the Pharisees did to justify themselves, to get the attaboys from each other. Hey, you're awesome. You're awesome because we're Pharisees. Yeah, it's like the echo chamber, right? And so, but the moment you make this an us against them instead of an us for them, you've taken your highest value, whether that's tolerance Freedom, education, race, protecting the unborn, whatever that issue is, not bad issues, right? But you take your issue and elevate it and become a Pharisee for your issue. Now, everyone who doesn't agree with you, everyone who's on a different side, you have to look down upon them because you've elevated that belief or that thing to ultimate. So now you become a Pharisee for whatever it is you fight for or whatever it is you believe. It's an us against them mentality instead of an us 
redeemed people by grace and mercy for other people because we want them to know and experience the love of Jesus. Again, what makes us right before God is not our beliefs, not our morality, not our political positions, not what we think about the issues. What makes us right before God is God's grace, period. That's the beginning point. That's the starting point, which we didn't do anything of. We're, we're the tax collector who should be saying, I have nothing. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. That right there is the starting place for being able to love and have truth, love and contend for the truth. Um, you, you, the moment we do that, we become Pharisees for whatever it is, the, uh, the people who don't agree with us become the unclean. They become the bad people because we're the good people. We have, the, we have it figured out. We have, but that is not loving. This, this tells us the world is not separated into good and bad people. It's separated into proud and humble people. Jesus even said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Meaning, God is the only one who has any claim to be good. We are all, we all fall short. We are all in need of grace and mercy. We are all broken. We are all sinners. We are all rebels according to, to the holiness of God. And we can't measure up. That's who we are. Okay? And so it's about, it's about the humble who have the, the sense to say, I need grace. I need mercy. I'm broken. I can't help myself. I'm at the end of myself. Versus the proud who say, I don't need God. I don't need him. I'm fine. I can behave my way into heaven. I, I, I want to live it up. I don't need God's, I don't believe, I believe a joy and pleasure are found in the world, not in God. That's the prideful person who says, I don't need God. Versus the person who says, I, I'm desperate for God. I need him. I need freedom and joy that only comes from him. Now, how does this look lived out? I want to I quickly go through an example because, again, I am, I am tempted to be this person who oscillates between love and truth. Um, pretend I hear something from a person in, in person, or maybe it's on a podcast, or maybe it's in a sermon, or maybe it's on social media, whatever it is. My gut reaction when I disagree with something, especially something I hold dear, is to make them my enemies, that's the knee-jerk reaction. Okay, they're my enemies. I want to look down on them. I want to cancel them. I want to assume the worst of them. Oh, if you believe that, you must believe this, this, and this. And that allows me to put them in a box and say, you know what? I, I, I'm good. They're bad. And we're off on the wrong foot. There's no way we can love and have that kind of, of reaction when someone disagrees with us. We can't do it. Rather, if we can catch ourselves, because we're all guilty of this, so we're all, we, we all get hot quick when, thing, when people disagree with us, right? The, rather than listening, I wonder why they believe that. What, like, what, what's underneath that statement they just made? I want to understand them. Like, I, I, I wonder, um, am I listening? Am I hearing them right? I wonder what background they have that may cause them to believe that. I wonder what part of their story kind of informs what they believe about this. I wonder if they have some hurt in their life that would lead them to say something like this on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. It's giving them the benefit of the doubt. And then it's saying, is there any common ground I have with this person? Is there any way we can say, yeah, we're, we're about the same thing. We're, we're, we're going after the same thing. We're just, we're just disagreeing on how to get there. Where's the common ground? Um, when we start to feel anger, hurt, frustration building up. we got to go back to the two commandments. What does it look like in this interaction to love God and love other people? If we can just do that, and I know it's hard in the moment, we can then de-escalate. Sometimes I have to walk away. 
Like, I'm going to forget that whole thing that maybe worked up, and I'm going to think about this kind of love stuff for a couple of days, and I'm going to come back, and then hopefully I'm going to be a little bit, because I'm not saying don't engage it. I'm not saying, hey, walk away from it and just let bygones be bygones. Don't worry about it. No, like, if you feel like it needs to be addressed, address it. But let's be careful how we address it. Another couple of questions to ask, is this a disagreement about a clear teaching of Scripture? Or is this a secondary issue or a matter of the truth that we hold dear applied to different things that are going on in the world? That's a good thing to think about. Is there a difference there? How can I disagree with this image bearer of God and still show love towards them? And here's the deal. I'm, I'm, I'm on social media too, so I'm talking to myself here, but it's much easier to do this in person. And after you get to know someone, if possible, than to grab the bullhorn on social media and go at it. I think we would all agree with that. It's better to do it in person. We all know this. Most often, after you get to know a person a little bit more, it's harder to demonize them and stereotype them and see them as all bad once you actually get to know a person and maybe a little bit of their story. Up here, if, they, if like I was ranking this, um, face-to-face interaction, by far the best. Phone call, Zoom now, in the middle. Twitter, Facebook, commenting, liking, retweeting, way down here, right? Now, I'm not saying get off social media. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying be careful. Maybe you need to say, you know, I disagree with you. I don't think this is the right environment. How about we, how about we go offline and talk about it? How about we do this not in public and in private? How about I, if it's in the church, grab a, grab a meal, Go break some bread together if you're covenant members of this church and actually talk about it. Bring, bring someone else along just in case it's like, I, I may get hot again. Well, bring someone else along. It's fine. Let's just talk this out. Let's, let's practice this. this. The log and speck teaching of Jesus, if y'all remember that, like you got to take the log out of your own eye to take the speck out of your brother's or sister's eye. It's, I think, impossible to do log and speck work online in social media. I just don't think you do that. It's just hard and there, it, there's no nuance you can't do that well. Um, I want to say one caveat about um, truth, and, and I think when we in, in insert our flesh, our sin, our background into truth, what can become problematic is when it turns into this, this idea of, of power. Right? Truth and power are not the same things, and sometimes I think they get lumped together. But when I read Scripture, I see the one who is all-powerful, God, and I see that God, this all-powerful God becomes a human, and, and he lives a life where he consistently lays down his power and authority for the sake of others. He takes his love, and it means laying down the power. We know that one day Jesus will take up that power again. He'll have all authority, and he'll come back, and he'll exercise that authority. We know that's going to happen. But still, that is God that has the power. He has every right to pick up the power and wield it uh, with authority, not his followers. I just don't see that in the scriptures to, to, to say, you need to grab power. You need to go after power. And he calls us to spend our lives laying down our power for the sake of others. Again, not to be doormats, not to, not to, not to let people walk all over us, because ultimately we want people, we want image bearers of God to know and worship and honor and love God. We don't, ultimately, we don't want to get them on our team. That's not the goal. We don't want them, their beliefs to line up with all of our beliefs or all of their opinions on current events to line up with all of our opinions on current events. That is not the goal. 
Like we got to remember that the goal is for people to see the beauty and the love of the gospel. And we're the messengers. We're the ambassadors. We're the ones that show God's love towards other people. So laying down power is the way to show people how that is done. Jesus even says it. Like, lay down your life for me. Die to yourself. Those are, those are statements about laying down your authority, laying down your rights, laying down, I deserve this, for the sake of others, so they will see and hopefully begin to savor the beauty of Jesus. Okay, quickly. Um, I have these on the screen there's six things. I'm not going to explain them for the sake of time. You can screenshot them or take pictures with your phone. Um, the, uh, these, I rewrote these a little bit. I got them from a couple of different sources. Um, here's just some things, some reflection things to think about. Do I spend more time talking, writing, and defending than I do praying? There's nothing wrong with talking, writing, and defending. I'm doing that right now. But are you spending as much time or more praying for your enemies, praying for the people you disagree with, that they would come to know Jesus? Number two. Do I find myself only criticizing one group of people? My experience is if you follow the teachings of the scripture, you're probably going to have more than one group, party, whatever, against you. You're probably going to have several people not agreeing with you on scripture. If you find you're always criticizing one thing, you may not be lining up with scripture. I'm just saying something to think about. Uh, um, Do I think that one political party is the Christian party? It's not. It's no party is Christian. The political realm of, of God is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God, and everything else comes under the kingdom of God. So there's nothing that can measure up to being the kingdom of God. That is the Christian political identity is the kingdom of God. Uh, the next one, am I more passionate about politics than I am about Providence Road and our mission? Just a question. Just again, um, I, I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I get a week where I am wrapped up in it. I am wrapped up in it, and I forgot about the mission of the church. Just ask yourself the question. Uh, two more. Do I spend more time thinking about and fighting for my rights, or do I spend more time thinking and considering how I can lay down my rights for others? That whole losing your life for my sake thing that Jesus talks about. Again, there's maybe some times to fight for your rights, occasionally, Right? But I think the majority of our time, if we look at Jesus, is to be spent laying down our rights and considering how we can love others more than we love ourselves. Lastly, six, am I putting my hope for society in politics, leaders, or platforms rather than God or the gospel? We've talked about a lot this last year that. Just a reminder, like if you find your, um, this is idolatry, right? When you worship something, it takes your time, your effort, your energy, sometimes even your money and takes it away from God and the gospel, and it takes it into something else. Something even you hate can become your idol. We often think of idol worship, things we love. Something you hate can actually become your idol because it's taking your time and your attention and your energy and maybe even your money to to fight that rather than going after the primary things, God, his sovereignty, his glory, and the gospel. Again, just thinking about this. I'm going to end with this. I want us... Coming into this year, one of my prayers for Providence Road is to have, um, and I'm not saying we're, this, we're, we're crazy disunified or anything like that when I say these things, but we can grow in our unity together. We can. We can grow in our unity, as I think all churches can. I mean, and I'm speaking for the church in general, but for sure Providence Road here. And I'm not talking about the unity that says, let's stick our hands in the sand, pretend we all get along, and sing Kumbaya. That's not biblical unity. 
that is not found in the scriptures. I'm talking about the kind of unity that says we have some things in common. That's the gospel. That's the primary teachings of Jesus. That's the absolute truth. We have that in common. And those truths make us people of love and truth and humility. That's the kind of people we should become based off our gospel and what we believe. That allows us to come to the table with a foundation of humility and love and truth. Then we can actually have our differences. We can have the hard and the awkward and the conversations that we probably don't want to have and stay connected with community because we know we have a common ground in the gospel and in Jesus, and that supersedes everything else, everything else. We're family. We've made a covenant, especially those of you who are in covenant, who are members, we've made a covenant together. We're family, just like your blood family is. That's the ideal, right? Like when somebody disagrees with you, you don't remove them from the family, or you don't say, I'm done with you, family. Like, no, that's, we stay and fight. We figure it out. We come to the table. We talk. We wrestle with things. We don't push away from the table when we disagree with something. You know, I'm out. It's, there are some things it's okay to leave fellowship and community with. I get that. But let's make sure those things are, are the, the main unifiers of our faith. What is the gospel? What are the, the core doctrines of the faith? We may have some disagreement there. We may have to part ways. But the kind of things that we're wrestling with over the last couple of years are not those things. So we stay and we fight with love and truth. This is the struggle Paul constantly came up against. In all of his letters, you see him address it. Jew and Gentile. Gentile and Jew. You're coming from two different backgrounds, two different worldviews, two different uh, stratas of society, a bunch of different custom differences. But now you're saved in the gospel, and that is your primary identity. So guys, get together. We're going to make this work because we're unified in the gospel, united in Christ, fellowship of the Spirit, together, one. And Paul's always after both sides, right, trying to get them to get along and understand one another. So that's for us. And again, right now the world's watching. The world is watching. What does true Christianity look like? What, is, what do Jesus people believe? What do, how do Jesus people live? Like, How do people who stand so firm on the Bible and say, this is my truth, how does the love piece of that get worked out? And, and, if, and if Christians are fighting together so much, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want any part of this. Is that a good representation of God? Is that a good representation of Jesus, our Savior? The world is watching us right now. It starts in, inside of churches like Providence Road, and hopefully we can see the world um, and have more civil conversations around love and truth moving forward. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your Bible make, keeps these two things in together, an in intention, and, and we're called, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough calling, but a calling to be people about the love and the truth. Um, help us. Help us. I pray that your gospel would humble us, would empower us, and we could be people of truth and love. Amen. Okay, we're gonna-